Hello and welcome to Time for Cakes and Ale, episode 5, with me, Bex. And me, Eason. And this episode we are going to be talking about the small matter of the new Star Wars movie, Rogue One. Mm. And before we get to that, anything else been going on recently? Seen some film trailers. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, very exciting. I tried to remember what trailers were on before Star Wars. Power Rangers. Power Rangers. Power Rangers. I've completely forgotten about it. Yes. And I didn't realise it was Power Rangers until the end of the trailer. When it looked like one of them was about to turn to a Power Ranger. Yeah. And, and then, then I... it turned out that uh, it flashed up on screen Power Rangers. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, it's Power Rangers. I had no idea they were making a Power Rangers film. Well, well, you do now. <laughs> although they, although they're, they're kind of keeping it under wraps. They don't really want people to know. I think they're going to hoodwink people into going to see it. Mm. And then when they're sitting there all happy in the, in the cinema, they'll all be like, oh, what's it about? And it just started with Power Rangers. <laughs> No, it did look uh, it did look terrible, and it had most of the people uh, from I Zombie in it as well. <laughs> it did have all a these, lot of people from all I these Zombie. people who have like minor minor speaking roles appeared to pop up, which was very confusing mm. because I Zombie is good and Power Rangers does not look good. No, but it is probably filmed in Vancouver, just so. like everything else. Yeah, they were probably in the neighbourhood. They went out with a big net catching cast members from My Zombie, and then saying, "Now you were in the Power Rangers movie." And uh, apparently, there's a bit in the middle of the Power Rangers movie where, if you look in the distance, uh, you can see them filming episodes of Supernatural, <laughs> and then getting out of shot really quickly and driving off in the Ford Impala. <laughs> Supernatural. <laughs> yes, yes, that, that, mm. obviously. Yeah, no, uh, there was that. There was uh, the, there was a new um, Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, mm. which looked. Like another Guardians of the Galaxy movie, yeah, as expected. It looked quite no, it looked quite fun. Looked quite good. It's nice to see Andy Dwyer being Star Lord again, which I still. Mm. It doesn't really help that we're watching Parks and Rec again at the moment. No, to see him be uh, the complete bumbling fool that is Andy Dwyer, and then becoming like this leading space ranger type character, and actually the lead in most films at the moment for some reason, <laughs> including the uh, Magnificent Seven movie, which I refuse to watch. <laughs> But at least the new Guardians of the Galaxy film, it won't have to get bogged down in the story with them all coming together. Yeah. It can just start immediately. They're all together, they're a gang, they're off doing whatever crazy things they're doing. And they're going to bump into Kurt Russell at some point. Yes. <laughs> um, what else was on? Oh, so actually today, uh, the Blade Runner trailer came out. Uh... That's, not a, that's not a sign that you, you don't like Blade Runner, though. That's just a sign that there was a Blade Runner trailer featuring a lot of Ryan Gosling in it. <sighs> There are some films that should just be left alone. There are some films that do not need sequels, prequels, remaking. You know, I, I'm not averse to remaking things if you make something good out of them, or having a sequel to something that was a brilliant film. But I just, I, I don't get it. It's not a film that needs a sequel. I think it's riding on that wave of. Kind of nostalgia, I suppose, but also people are just deciding that they've run out of ideas a little bit. And there were some really good films that they seem ripe to be sequelized now. Also, given the proper ending of Blade Runner, as in the ending of the proper director's cut version, it's a perfect ending in that you can just decide for yourself about various things. (laughs) Without giving too much away. (laughs) uh, Trying to be very non-spoilery. But I don't like the idea of trying to say to everyone, oh, hey, actually, this is what happened next. Yeah, it's it's strange because I think you know, there is a very good precedent for 
making a sequel to a film a long time after you know after the original was made and and the obvious one for that is the godfather part three Mm. you know the first two were great made them a couple of years of each other in the early 70s and then whatever in 1990 i think they decided to do another godfather movie and it's a good movie but you don't want the reputation of the earlier films being tarnished in some way by having something you know that mm. that long after it's never it never captures the same feeling no. i think and uh although to be fair i say that and i'm criticizing that but i'm obviously very much looking forward to the new twin Peaks, <laughs> which is 25 years later or 26 years yeah that's what i was just thinking i was thinking why is it that we're so excited that twin peaks is coming back and they are going to give us another chapter of it and yet i don't want another chapter of blade runner blade runner works in a sense because it's a fantastic movie it has this vision of the future, which is now, you know, technically upon us anyway. Mm. And it's a world which was created for that film. It ends very nicely. It has a beginning, a middle and an end, and it leaves some things open. But nothing that requires you to wonder, oh, what happened to Deckard years later? You know, what happens to all these characters? I mean, it's not, you know, it's fundamentally not a story that needs to be continued. Because you've seen everything that there was that would make a good movie out of it. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's going to fail spectacularly it might be a fantastic movie but you know it would be nice to maybe see the same people put together maybe more original science fiction movie Um, and i do wonder if it's just ridley scott deciding well you know i'm doing the alien movies again now so maybe i'll do some more of them as well and he'll probably make sequels to his other film maybe there'll be a sequel to legend (laughs) because tim curry's still around Mm. he's always around though but i think also with blade runner when it it looks unlike anything else, anything else that was made at the time, and it looks unlike anything that is made now because it was so heavy on practical effects and model work, whereas now you just paste everything in CGI, and it doesn't look the same. Um, I don't think that however far you try to CGI the effect of some of the model work on Blade Runner, it would never quite recreate how it looks. It's visually so unique that... I I don't want a poor imitation mm. of that and a poor imitation of the original score as well, which you can kind of hear starting to creep through. Yeah. It's just it 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 already did everything right. And it's kind of weird at the end of the trailer. There's obviously a shot where you see Harrison Ford coming into a room and you know giving some little speech, and it's strange. But the thunder is kind of already stolen by seeing an old Harrison Ford turn up in The Force Awakens and do exactly the same thing. It's like there's a resurgence in Harrison Ford movies from like the 70s and 80s. Mm. And obviously when there's another uh, another Indiana Jones film in a couple of years, it'll be the same again. But the novelty is gone. And maybe maybe there are other stories to be told in the Blade Runner universe. But as a film, I'm not sure. And also I'm not a big fan of Ryan Gosling. No, me neither. And actually, there's something... The, about the trailer that made me think why haven't we really got and this is possibly a conversation from another podcast mm-hmm. but why haven't we got proper movie stars like Harrison Ford anymore because yeah. he could be in anything for about 20-30 years he could be in anything um, he did so many huge blockbusters so many iconic characters he was a proper proper movie star and now who have we got? we've got Ryan Gosling Congratulations, universe. Who's uh, who's obviously interchangeable with uh, Ryan Reynolds. He is. <laughs> he basically is. Seriously, there, there was a long period of time, sort of 
actually before um, the Marvel film started, there was a period of time where I couldn't tell the difference between Ryan Gosling, Ryan Reynolds, and Chris Evans. And then not Chris, the Radio Two presenter. Not the Radio Two presenter. And then Chris Evans bulked up a bit to become Captain America. Although his head was really small in the first one. <laughs> so now at least I can tell the difference between him and the other two. But they're basically those three people who are the same person in my head. But now one of them is slightly larger than the other two. This is Captain America. But the other two are basically, in my mind, they're the same person. To the point where I confuse which films either of them were in. It's so stressful. (laughs) And I, I don't know. There's, I think there's a dearth of like proper, proper, you know what I mean? Proper movie stars. Yeah. The thing is, it's an era where apparently anyone can be famous and they've decided that anyone will be famous and they'll all be in films. And that's about it. <laughs> so Hollywood has spoken. Mm. Um, but of course, the other great trailer out today was obviously uh, the new trailer for Twin Peaks. Oh, yes. Which is, uh, I mean, to be honest, as teaser trailers go, you know, a teaser trailer, it used to be the case they would release them like a year in advance and they would barely have a title card for a blockbuster film coming out the next summer. <laughs> There'd be a hint of something. There may be a dinosaur foot. There may be a shot of a spaceship. And this was a trailer for the new Twin Peaks series, which just had David Lynch as Gordon Cole staring into space, eating a donut for about half a minute or something, <laughs> if that. And I watched that teaser trailer, and I was like, hmm, I want to watch this. I want to watch it again. And to be honest, it's not because I thought, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. I thought, maybe there's a chance there's a whole series of Gordon Cole eating a donut. Because I would watch that. I would watch that and I would tell everyone it was the best show ever. Because it will be. But, you know, that's obviously because I'm very, very biased in DC. But it was it was a really bizarre trailer for something. Yeah. Uh, where I thought, you know what? That's the complete antithesis of these trailers that are coming out at the moment that tell you everything about what's going on. Mm. Um, or reveal too many scenes. Or obviously in the case of Rogue One, uh, show you a completely different film to what's uh, <laughs> what's actually on screen six months after it's in the trailers. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so in terms of our Rogue One discussion, which we're about to do, I think it's safe to say there's going to be spoilers in it. Yeah. Um, we did think about doing a non-spoilery review, but it's just too difficult. So what we suggest is go and watch Rogue One. Give them some more money. <laughs> go to the cinema and watch the movie. If you are interested in watching it, go and watch it and then come back and listen to our discussion um, about it because we don't want to give anything away. Um, and actually, it's very—it's one of those films that you do need to watch without, you know, without spoilers. But also, when you've watched it, you kind of want to talk about it and say, oh, this is good, this is great. So, yeah, I think that's uh, what we should do. Any thoughts? Sounds good to me. Cool, let's crack on. <laughs> Okay, so hopefully you are now back from watching Rogue One at the cinema. Yeah, in that like 30 second gap. <laughs> you just disappeared and you went and saw it and you came back. And you thought, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, so we saw it last Thursday when it opened at 9am. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of funny because if you see a film at 9am in the morning, I'm not sure if it's actually any better than seeing it in the midnight screening. Because I always think, oh, midnight screens, I'll get tired, get a bit yeah. sleepy. But actually, to be honest, at 9am in the morning, I was still a bit sleepy as well. I was very tired. I had to get a very early bus into town to go and see this film at 9am. But we did see it. Yes. And behold, it was good. It was good. It was good. Yeah. So, obviously, as a quick recap, 
Rogue One takes place uh, just before Episode Four, A New Hope. That's not really a spoiler. Um, <laughs> the plot is basically about the ragtag group of rebels who are uh, sent on a mission to recover the plans for the Death Star, which is obviously the series of events that leads into the opening of A New Hope. Um, it's about the the characters who are put together on um, in that in that little team who go on this mission, who get the plans, and, well, you know how it ends. It ends just before the plans are handed to, uh, to uh, what's her face? Leia. Leia, Princess Leia. <laughs> yes, how much of a Star Wars fan. <laughs> yeah, so what did you think? I enjoyed it. It was different to the film I was expecting, not just because it wasn't the film that I'd seen in the trailers, because <laughs> it obviously changed an awful lot of things, and they've been very heavily publicised reshoots and all sorts of changes but I was expecting maybe one direction for the characters and for the plot and got something a bit different but also it felt although it felt like a Star Wars film it didn't feel like The Force Awakens The Force Awakens felt like they'd put all the Star Wars films in a blender and made a Star Wars smoothie out of them. Tasty. Um, it was tasty, and it had lots of familiar ingredients. But it's very filling. It and, you're not, and you're not sure if you want any more of it. <laughs> but this, and it, it was different right from the off. There was no crawl over the titles yep. that told you anything. You just got a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away, and then you're off. And so it, it seemed free from the weight of the mythology of the main series of films. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I like the Star Wars movies, but I'm not like obsessive about them. So it was actually quite nice to watch films set in the Star Wars universe that wasn't completely encumbered by everything that has come before and after. Mm. I'm sure there are lots of references in it that I didn't get, lots of you know probably throwaway lines and characters, etc. But at its core, it was actually quite an enjoyable movie, and it was nice that it was actually, firstly. You know, in the Star Wars universe, but very different to the style of the other Star Wars films that have been done to date. But also what I thought was nice was the aesthetic was really in keeping with episode four. Mm. It really, you can imagine watching Rogue One segue perfectly into A New Hope in terms of just looking at the movie, the way it was shot, the way it looked. It just looked like the film that, that led into it, which is strange. It didn't look too shiny for a modern film. It, it wasn't stylized in a different way or have like, uh, CGI that would really mismatch what's going on in um, in episode four. But it was nice, yeah, to see a film that clearly shows that this whole idea of making movies in the Star Wars universe may not be as bad as it originally sounded. Yeah, I thought aesthetically it was really interesting because, as you say, it, it had elements that were reminiscent of the sort of slightly 70s futuristic aesthetic of the very first Star Wars film. A nice rubber collar on Darth Vader, <laughs> where his like his mask kind of sits on top of his cloak, and, mm. um, and also a lot of the location work um, and some of the settings were also, I thought, more reminiscent of the original trilogy, as opposed to some of the bizarre, shiny, overcrowded landscapes that you got on the prequel trilogy. I think certainly the first what half of the film or so there does you know it does look like there's a lot more in terms of practical effects and mm. and a sense of, well, it really looks kind of tangible, the world they're in. Then it doesn't look as blue screeny as uh, as the prequel certainly looked. Mm. And in terms of the plot, 
I have to say, for a film where you know how it's going to end, obviously with the plans for the Death Star being um, obtained and passed on, it's actually quite an enjoyable film, given that you know, you know, you know what the story beats are likely to be and how it's mm. going to end. I think that's probably down to the fact they've got an interesting group of characters doing a bizarre kind of Dirty Dozen style movie. <laughs> it's like a, it's like one of those Men on a Mission movies that they used to make all the time, like a Where Eagles Dare kind of situation. Yeah, and I think it's a very well cast film. The cast seem to gel well together, particularly the sort of band of rogues who it focuses on who you begin with um, Jin Erso played by Felicity Jones and then along the way they sort of snowball through picking up people to form the core gang who are Ocean's Eleven style yeah and and although you can predict where some of the personal journeys of some of the characters are going to go so for example early on you've got Cassian who is this spy character who has a secret mission that he's not telling um, Jin about where he's going to assassinate her father rather than try and rescue him and he's going to find a way to do that while she is distracted or whatever and you can kind of tell well he's probably going to realise it's the wrong thing to do and he's going to come good and of course he does and you can you can see all these tropes coming through in some of the characters but that doesn't make it any less enjoyable to watch because it's it's just very well put together and the characters are all very well done, I thought. I mean, it does remind you of something that hasn't been done in the Star Wars universe, I think, which is a very kind of self-contained caper kind of style movie. Mm. And it's funny because in certainly the original trilogy have lots of references to funny capers that may have happened in the past <laughs> um, that the characters always reference. And it's kind of cool that this story is just a very self-contained event that could have the potential to be quite boring because you know what's going to happen. But as they turn it into kind of an interesting storyline, because actually you you, you do you realise there are things that haven't been told, like, you know, who put a stupid floor in the Death Star? <laughs> um, yeah. you, know, who, you know, who was it who built it? You know, who were the rebels who actually got the plans? How did that take place? How did uh, How did the New Hope actually start with Darth Vader chasing down... Uh, the rebel ship, you know, in the mm. first instance, knowing that the plans were on board, etc. And having a whacking great flaw on Death Star is something that's been the butt of a joke for a long time. You know, what? why would you build something that had such a flaw? And then why would you make it accessible from the outside? And now we know why. Somebody did it on purpose. I mean, it's a massive, it's a massive retcon in that respect, because <laughs> they know that they have to kind of say something about it. But it's actually quite a clever way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, it's good that it was Mads Mikkelsen who did it. Yes. Uh, this is our second... Uh, in-depth film review and our second Mads Mikkelsen film <laughs> but he did get quite a bit more to do in this one than exactly. he did in Doctor Strange even though he probably had no more screen time but his character was infinitely more well-rounded and yeah. understandable I think his what was cool was from the very beginning I liked his his relationship with uh, the bad guy what's his face Krennic mm. whatever. I thought that was kind of an interesting an interesting uh, dynamics. It's clear that they they've known each other for a long time, mm. and it was interesting to see them play off each other, especially because obviously you know Mads Mikkelsen's character Galen is Jin's father, and you know how that plot is going to ultimately play out because he's obviously going to use his skills to help build this Death Star, but also build these flaws in that he hopes will be exploited mm. ultimately. 
the Krennic character, it, it adds a little more to it to have him be obviously part of this mighty empire, but still be a person. Mm. Uh, he's quite he's quite an interesting character because he does fit very much in the canon of the original trilogy movies, but he's still just a guy who is doing his job, yeah, which and, is kind of odd. And desperate for approval and recognition for the <laughs> job that he's doing. And ultimately, yeah, massive spoiler, obviously, to face down the Death Star at the end, this thing that he shepherded through mm-hmm. its development. There's a there's a tremendous irony in watching the look on his face when he realises what's going to happen near the end of the movie. Yeah, and it, it was it was more satisfying in a way than going with the obvious thing, which would have been Jin getting her revenge on him by killing him or something like that. Um, in, instead of it being a story of sort of personal revenge, it was a, a story of, I suppose, personal redemption for a lot of the good guys, many of whom used to be bad guys. Yeah. Obviously, you've got uh, Galen, who was uh, an engineer for the Empire, and then he gets taken back and forced to become an engineer again in order to build this thing. You've got uh, Riz Ahmed's character, uh, Rook, who was a pilot for the Empire, and he defects, and it's him who takes Galen's message out uh, to inform the rebels that he has built this floor uh, into the Death Star. I think he's kind of an interesting character because he's not the he's not the gung ho pilot that you expect to see in a Star Wars movie. Mm. He's not the the overly charismatic Han Solo style pilot you're used to seeing. He's very much the competent <laughs> pilot who's, I suppose, in the middle of a war where he knows that the stakes are very high and he's and not everyone is built to mm. you know to cope with the the stress levels associated with being uh, in this war between the empire and the rebels i think he's an interesting character because he clearly is struggling with the weight of responsibility he has and it's just another side to a character that you wouldn't usually expect in a star wars movie he's not as he's not the clear cut space pilot kind of character mm. and it was quite an interesting um, counterpoint to the character of Finn in The Force Awakens because he is also a defector from mm. the um, from the Empire or in The Force Awakens from the sort of remnants of the Empire that's still there and whereas Finn does fit more easily into the slightly kind of hand solo little bit out for himself wants to get away from everything ultimately comes good um, sort of big hero story Rook was very much more a very quiet character, but someone who ultimately, I think one point he said that he just wanted to get right by himself mm. and he just wanted to do something right that would help after having been a part of this big machine that he recognised was was evil. And Rizama gets to do his very slightly kind of wide-eyed... What, what was that drama that we saw him in the night of the night of yeah he he, he does he does big wide-eyed who me kind of actually very well and yeah and the other one um the other character that was kind of cool was uh the new droid mm. they brought in who had all the who, who had all the good one-liners k2 or whatever yeah um who was the dude from firefly whatever his name is mm. um <laughs> so that's how much i remember these things but he was really good it was it was interesting to have again a uh, even the droid was a reprogrammed imperial droid who was, you know, who was involved now on the good side of the mission. It was, mm. it was just strange how they managed to take this disparate group of characters, and they all had a slight 
twinge in their character that made them more interesting than the stock stereotype that they could have become. Mm. Certainly, it, you know, it makes for a, a really kind of fun movie. It's a bit of a, you know, it's an action movie. It's a bit of a heist movie. It's funny in places, but it has a lot of heart, which I think the Star Wars films can sometimes lack. I mean, certainly in the, you know, in the prequels and even The Force Awakens, they can be, they can be quite quite methodological they go through the motions of you know these are the star wars things you have to do blah 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 these are the uh, these are the beats you have to meet mm. but this was kind of taking a different direction i thought was really cool yeah and also the bit you know to be honest there are there are three you know obvious callbacks to uh characters in the other movies the first one was uh is in the trailers obviously that's darth vader and i think it was really cool to see darth vader again mm. And not in the Anakin Skywalker prequel kind of sense. This no, was like proper, proper Darth, Darth Vader. It was proper Darth Vader. <laughs> it was a Darth Vader who you remember from the original movies. Mm. The dude who essentially wields a lightsaber uh, to cut people down. And he used the force at will to uh, kill people. Because he has a mission, he's going to stick to it. And uh, I like that kind of ruthlessness, that coldness, which Darth Vader is meant to have this kind of imposing... He actually behaves like... The character looks now. Mm. You know, he wasn't this wimpy kid who was into building pod race vehicles or whatever, <laughs> you know, or was whining about this, that and the other in the prequel films. That's the last time we really saw him. This was the Darth Vader who was um, as cunning and cruel and quite sadistic as the one you see in uh, <laughs> in the original movies. Yeah. And it was really fun to see that again. It was a it was nice to basically see that character sort of return to form uh, in this movie. And obviously it's unclear whether he's going to turn up in episodes eight and nine in some way, or if mm. it's just going to be his decrepit mask that Kylo <laughs> Ren will keep holding and looking at and doing this weird Hamlet thing all the time. With. Yeah. And then there were the two rather more surprise appearances from characters of films past. So obviously the, the main one is that we've got um, Grand Moff... Tarkin. Tarkin back again in CGI form, CGI Peter Cushing. Um, I had no idea that was going to happen. No, me neither. No, no. They've, they've kept it out of all the trailers and we've managed to avoid um, any online spoilers by going to see it so early. Although it doesn't look completely right and you can tell that it's a CGI person, it's still very well done. Yeah. There were times when you forgot that it wasn't a person. And then times when you would kind of remember again. They just, they don't look perfect yet, these CGI characters. It's very well done. Looks a bit too shiny. Mm. Lighting doesn't seem to work. But to be honest, it was still quite cool seeing it on screen. Mm. I think you can be very critical saying, well, the, the CGI isn't up there. But to be honest, I think it was it was passable. Mm. You know, it, it got the job done. I mean, very quickly, you, you do feel like it's Peter Cushing there doing it. And that's more important. The film just kind of lets you get so absorbed in it that you just forget that's happening. But it was nice to have him there. Yeah. Because you see how much of a bastard he was back then, <laughs> which fits perfectly with what happens in the uh, in the films afterwards. Yeah. And it provides a nice link with A New Hope, Yeah, I think. Because obviously you've got other sort of villains in Rogue One who don't make it into no. A New Hope. So it's nice having having another villain who provides this sort of co continuous story through into uh, what is effectively the next film in the sequence, even though it was the first film of the 
eight. <laughs> so confusing. But I think, I mean, the, the one unnecessary thing was seeing um, C-3PO and Alter D2 in it. That was a bit too much of a call out to fans of Star Wars. I think just to say that, oh yeah, C-3PO's in all the movies and to give Anthony Daniels a job again. <laughs> just he can turn up to more conventions, probably. Yeah. And tell hilarious stories about uh, his time on the set of Star Wars. This must have been for like 10 minutes or something. <laughs> you know, it was nice to see it, but it was a bit unnecessary. Mm. And then obviously the very final scene of the film has CGI Carrie Fisher. Mm. Uh, as Princess Leia, obviously. <laughs> It'd be weird if she was playing a different character. But um, that was kind of nice. It was a bit weird to see it. It was a bit of a shock, because I, yeah. I had no idea they were going to do that. I thought they were going to keep it so it stopped really short of the events of A New Hope. To have it segue so smoothly in was a bit, uh, a bit unusual. But again, uh, um, a CGI, very young Princess Leia was kind of cool, actually, to see that. Hmm. And in fact, it left me at the end thinking, oh, I really want to go watch A New Hope now. <laughs> It, you know, it, it kind of, it. I think it captured a lot of the excitement of those early films that I think certainly I didn't feel that the prequels had. And to a certain extent, I think The Force Awakens, although it was a good film, it, it was slightly weighed down by the burden of having to transition the mythology onto a next generation. Whereas this film felt quite free of any of those burdens because although it had to end with the plans for the Death Star being handed over, um, other than that, they could pretty much do whatever they wanted. They didn't have to worry about, um, you know, generations of Jedis or or how are the Rebels of the Republic going to carry on or anything like that. They could just do what they wanted and they could do what they wanted with the characters. And, and in fact, they really did do what they wanted with the characters in the end. So at what point did you think that they were going to uh all expire yeah <laughs> i don't know so it all happens quite quickly i suppose at the end but i think probably the bit where k2 gets killed that was a moment where i thought well two things one i thought well they're killing off the kind of light relief droid which is a bit harsh mm. but then it, something twigged in me where i realized that actually as far as I could remember, none of the characters appear later on in the Star Wars universe. So I was thinking, well, actually, maybe maybe there's a reason why none of them appear. And, you, and then you watch in quick succession as all the characters get taken out in a variety of ways. But all the characters get taken out in, in quite noble ways, mm. which I think is good. They're all being killed in the service of this mission that they're on. And to be honest, they all have quite fitting deaths. Uh, for all their characters they're all quite unique they're quite memorable I think they all have a death which which really fits what arc that character was on some of them dying unnecessarily some of them dying in the pursuit of a specific task that they're doing others putting essentially all their faith in in their belief in the force etc mm -hmm. and then ultimately then being able to carry out their task but then uh, dying as well I think it was kind of it was unusual. It was a bit harsh. Certainly, it was very dark for a Star Wars movie, but it does make you realise that all these characters would end up being considered heroes afterwards, mm. which is obviously what the plot probably requires as well. Yeah, so you have this really good sort of double act within the team of Chirrut and Baze, I think their names mm. are, yeah. who join the team on um, whatever that planet was. I can't remember that city that they go to where they're looking for... Um, Saw 
Guerrero. Guerrero. Yeah. Um, and they they join them, and Chirrut is blind, but has this you know very deep faith in the Force. And but he's not a Jedi. He's he not. Just, he has some. Yeah, he's aware so... of it, and he must utilize it in some way, or believe he could utilize it as yeah. an external thing, but. So that confused me for a while because I couldn't tell whether he was meant to be a Jedi or not. But in the end, I think he probably wasn't. But yeah, I, I find that I kept thinking, oh, is, is he a Jedi? Does he just. Well, I suppose is, the only Jedi in the Jedi? next film, though, are going to be Obi Wan and Luke and Leia. Yeah. As the obvious ones until they rebuild the whole Jedi Order. So he's probably, yeah, he's not like a real Jedi, but it's clear that the Force. It was nice because it, it brings up the idea that the, uh, that the concept of the Force and the belief in the Force. Is still strong, yeah, uh, in the universe. Even if the Jedi have uh, disappeared, essentially, yeah. And the the planet that they're on, it was originally home to a, a temple of some kind. Which, oh, the Jedi. Or, or, yeah, 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 which the Republic are stripping for um, some kind of crystals, the kyber crystals, the yeah. lightsaber ones. Yeah, that they're using to to power things. Um. So th- the two of them join up, and um, I suppose. In all of the deaths that happen, they get involved most in the sort of running battle that is going on on the beaches of this um, sort of resort where the Empire is storing all of their plans. For for some reason, they've decided that they're going to build a big tower on this planet and store all of their intergalactic blueprints in this tower, which they can then broadcast out whenever they need to. So they launched this massive assault on the facility in order to distract all the stormtroopers and all the guys away while the others try and nab the plans. And so you get some really good action sequences there and it's it, it does turn into almost like a war film really mm. at times. It's a very, very large body count. So the other good thing about it, I suppose, is it has... it's cut Well, it's, it's big cast as well. kind of shows that essentially... British actors are either in Game of Thrones or they're in Star Wars movies these days. Yes. So you you did occasionally recognise people who would pop up, uh, particularly in the large number of people that they had to have at the end um, piloting a lot of the... The X-Wings. The, the X-Wings end, yeah. that were coming in. Um, and you occasionally saw a familiar face and, oh, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. Uh, in- including, and hilariously, um, the, uh, the dude... Who does stupid stupid it's funny because they're true. <laughs> that dude was in it. But it was weird because I saw that and I looked at you. And it's one of those moments where you think, did anyone else see that? You're not sure if you actually saw that happen. Because it's so unmistakably that that dude yeah. from Horrible Histories and Yonderland. Yeah. And you just think about that song whenever he comes on the screen. Although he's not singing that in the next wing because that'd be very distracting. No. But, you know, you did wonder if maybe underneath the helmet it was just the Nagata spiky <laughs> helmet under there. <laughs> but it's just his voice, just his voice you can recognise. Um, but, but yeah, because I, 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 he's only on there for a split second mm. saying red three or whatever it is. And I just thought, is that the stupid test guy? That's him, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know if anyone else noticed that, but it was probably the most important bit of the film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that I'm watching Jimmy Schmitz get... Uh, get even more work after this one. <laughs> you know. He is truly the unbreakable in Jimmy Schmitz. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. See what I did there. Uh, so what did you make of Felicity Jones? I thought she was quite good. 
I think she was. It was nice to have a lead character who wasn't the standard feisty female, kick-ass kind of character. She mm-hmm. actually was an interesting character to watch, who actually had some motivations that were related to the plot, rather than just a general desire to kick ass. <laughs> which tends to happen in some of these kind of films. Mm. Uh, the performance was really good. I think it was odd because she doesn't really, she doesn't have that much to say. I mean, she has lots of speeches and things later on in the film, but it, it's just very much a performance of somebody who is, well, I think you kind of just see where her character comes from and you see where it goes throughout the film. Mm. And I think it's interesting to have the relationship that she has with her father sort of changing so much throughout the film. You get a lot of hints about the past from things which are said in the present of the film so how she interacts with Forrest Whitaker is kind of interesting Mm. how she interacts with her father how she interacts with Krennic all these things that you know there's there's clearly still that Star Wars thing of it being about people and families all the time everyone knows each other it's a huge galaxy but Mm. everyone knows each other in some respect I think she was really good what do you think yeah I I really liked her I, I think from the trailer that I saw I was concerned that the way they seemed to be showing her character that it was going to be too much almost like a Ray Mark 2 you know that kind of like I'm a feisty girl hear my roar kind of thing but then it turned out not to be like that at all um that there was a lot of depth to her character um and even though she didn't get to have that much screen time with her father you felt that there was still a real connection um, particularly the way that she reacted to the hologram of him, that she'd clearly been carrying around this weight of feeling awful about the fact that her father was off helping the Empire and yet deep down desperately wanted him to be the hero that she remembered from when she was a kid and that you know the moment that the possibility of that was presented to her, she grabbed it and ran with it because... In a way, I I suppose it was um, rehabilitating his identity. And if her identity was so connected to that, that it must have felt like a a possibility of redemption for her as well, for the whole family, really, I I suppose. Yeah, I think as a character, she's remarkably well written for a Star Wars movie. She has a lot going on. She has a real arc throughout the whole thing. I think it's it's obviously sad, I think, that you won't get to see more of her. Mm. I suppose they could do a prequel to this. It'd be very <laughs> odd, like filling in the uh, just even even more incrementally minor gaps in the, in the Star <laughs> Wars universe. But I think she was a great character, and I think she was unique in the Star Wars universe, and she was right for this movie. Mm. And also, correct me if I'm wrong, there was no unnecessary romantic interest with another character. They were all there to do this mission, and that was it. And I think that was kind of nice. Yeah. There was no hint that any character had to get together with another character like that um, just for the sake of it happening it really was a, a ragtag group of uh, people who were forced to become heroes against potentially their past and better natures who redeemed themselves by uh, by going on this mission I think it was just a unique it was a unique entry in the Star Wars um, universe mm. and I, I thought that made it for me much better than it probably had any right to be I think because it was a really it was a really fun film to watch. It's nice to watch a film that just has that has a beginning, a middle, and end in the Star Wars universe. It's so complicated to try and dive into the other ones. Yeah. If you can't remember what happened in, well, now it's films before, films afterwards, all over the place. Yeah. 
because it is a problem I think with a series of films that have potentially no end point there might be no point where they stop making the main series of Star Wars films we could be on episode 20 years from now you know we probably will be maybe, hope not. maybe we'll still be doing this podcast <laughs> and everything has to not only sort of pay attention to the past and everything that's come before it but is also so narrowly focused into building for the future and making sure that the fans are happy and that the next instalment works in the right way to the point when The Force Awakens at the end of it when Luke Skywalker finally turns up and you feel like oh how long have we got to wait for the next instalment of this another two years three years however long it is it's next next winter is it next winter yeah. next winter so another two years before the next installment comes along and as enjoyable as it is you do sometimes feel like oh i'm i'm i've read a f- the first few chapters of a story and now i've got to wait two years for the next yeah. few chapters to come along and it's so nice to have just a story where they tell a story and there are some interesting likable characters and it's well done and you don't end it thinking, right, how many years before the next part of the story comes along? Yeah, it slots into the universe, but it doesn't have too much to worry about with what's come before and after. So you can watch it on its own. But I think, like you were saying earlier, it would be really cool to watch that as a double bill with A New Hope mm. and see exactly how it segues from one film to the other. Yeah. And also, it's it's really nice, I think, sometimes to have these kind of stories that are about, essentially, ordinary people who get caught up in something enormous going on and who ultimately do make a big difference, even through very small actions. Um, And even though they might not be remembered as the big heroes of the story in the end or survive to see the end, they still mattered. One of the things that I I do think gets a bit repetitive, not just with the, the Star Wars films, but with a lot of kind of big epic fantasy films as well, is that they're all about these, you know, big royal lines or Jedi families or kings and queens and it's all on a grand scale and you you never really see the lives of ordinary people or if someone starts off as an ordinary farm boy, they will inevitably turn out to be the heir of some great destiny. Yeah. There's, you know, always some grand universe world saving thing that they have to do and it's all half it's prophesized anyway and it's it's played out on such a big scale that you don't get to see these small actions of ordinary people doing remarkable things that then no one remembers and yet they ultimately made such a big difference so you have this kind of small contained story about a group of completely random people who coincidentally come together and do something without which nothing else in the Star Wars universe that came afterwards in terms of episodes four plus could have happened the way that it did um, and they didn't have to be you know secret Jedis or royalty or whatever it is they it, it's not necessary you can you can tell stories about ordinary people that are extraordinary and exciting and in the same universe and in the same universe, yeah. yeah. No, no, I think that's I think that's completely true because what you do see with these big movie universes now is that there are a lot of main characters who have lots of screen time. They're all very heroic and they do fantastic things, but it's odd that they're all involved 
in every single thing that happens in the plot, no matter how small. Whereas this was, like you say, a a story where, look, there's an overarching plot that's taking place. And this was one of the small but pivotal events Mm. that's in it. And this is the story of those people. And it doesn't need to rely at all on these larger characters in the universe. This is just what happened. And the fact that they even um, never interact with Darth Vader as well. He's a looming presence in the whole thing, but there's no need for them to actually meet up and chat just to link it into the universe. They've got their own mission to go after, and they do it. And I think that was a really cool thing they did in the story too. Yeah, in fact, I think not even Galen interacts with Darth Vader, does he? He only no. ever interacts with... Um... With Krennic. Yeah. Is he even, does he even meet Grand Moff Tarkin? I don't think he does. does no, he? I think no. he only ever meets Krennic. Yeah. So, so there's clearly like a hierarchy where they've established that for certain characters, things that happen are just above their pay grade. They just don't know about, <laughs> yeah. you know. And that's probably what's kind of funny about the whole thing as well, because it's this small group of people who stimulate the key events that the rebels uh, mm. need to take place in the later films. And they're essentially unknown up until now. So it's kind of looking back on these people as you know, as a chance to tell their story, because it otherwise wouldn't be told, because they're not from the Skywalker clan. Yeah. Or from the solo clan. Yeah, they're, they're not the people who, a thousand years' time, um, songs will be sung about them yeah. and great. Ewok songs. Yeah, <laughs> Ewok songs. They're, they're, they're not the people who will be immortalised in epic poems. Yeah. So, in the same way, it's like in The Force Awakens where Kylo Ren turns out to be Han and Leia's son. Mm. I can see why they're doing that in the context of the main saga films and this whole idea that everything is prophesized by the force and all this nonsense but it's actually quite nice to have a film where that doesn't need to happen that uh, there, there are almost multiple streams of characters in the star wars universe and this is a chance to kind of show what they're doing as well yeah and it's it, you, you're right you do see this hierarchy because Krennic is desperate for an audience with the emperor and he's clearly told no you're not going to get one <laughs> you're not important enough congratulations on building our super weapon but, it's yeah. mine now. Yeah, <laughs> have a pat on the head and run along. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost sort of these full of these frustrated middle management types who really who really want a gold star for what they've done and they're not going to get it. Instead, what they're going to get is they're blown up by their own weapon. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it adds an extra layer of pathos to the way they all die at the end, knowing that they aren't the ultimate protagonists of the Star Wars story and that the way that the whole mythology goes and the stories that you can imagine being told and remembered um, in The Force Awakens I think Han Solo has some line, it was in the trailers as well, where he says oh the Jedi uh, you know, the, the Force, the, force, it's the dark all, side it's all true, it's all true and you can see that those were the stories that people have been telling each other and have survived and it, it adds an extra layer of pathos to see these characters be so heroic and sacrifice so much, knowing that ultimately they're going to be a kind of footnote in this big story that will happen. So you get these, you know, really sad moments. Like um, there's a bit where uh, really the end, um, Rook has been trying to hook up uh, some kind of... Uh, communications link with the rebel fleet on the other side of the planet shield thing that they've got going on it's a technical term planet shield thing Mm. and 
he he just manages to um, make a broadcast out to them to tell them you've got to knock a hole in the shield and they'll send the plans through. And about three seconds later, completely random, someone chucks a hand grenade into his truck and boom, he's done. But by that point, though, the dude who, for some reason, looks a lot like Admiral Akbar has already got things going. <laughs> it was fun seeing Admiral Akbar looking dude in the whole film. Even though it wasn't Admiral Akbar. No, it was, what was it? it was Admiral something else. It was Admiral something else. That was his name. It was Admiral something else. It was Admiral something else. I uh, I was reading that apparently the reason why he's blue and Admiral Akbar is red uh, is because uh, apparently one of them is from like the the tropical ocean region of their home planet and the other one is from the colder regions. (laughs) Apparently that's the real reason. (laughs) I'm glad that somebody has put some thought into that. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I think it does make it more emotional at the end, rather than just having a, a, a standalone film that didn't have something bigger built around it. So you, you see these incredibly heroic people doing things and then thinking, a thousand years from now they'll all be talking about bloody Skywalkers and no, nobody will remember anything that they did. Also, I mean, just as a, as a structural thing about the film, if this was any other blockbuster movie, all these events, like, for example, Bodhi Rook being killed by the hand grenade at the end, that would have been a lucky escape for him in another mm. film. He would have like hidden behind some boxes or something and partially survived. Just there was something at the end. There was some hope. But this, it was everyone was just taken out. They were all cut down in in a cruel fashion. Mm. And because you know you have no idea who any of these characters are when the film starts, you really have no idea whether any of them are going to survive. You don't think that they're all going to die, but it's even more surprising when they all uh, they all do get mm. killed. So it just it, it's just a different way to make a Star Wars movie, and I think quite an enjoyable one. It'd be interesting to see whether all these films, as part of that a Star Wars story mm. kind of banner, um, all work in the same way. Because the next one is going to be young Han Solo, yeah. isn't it? Um, but that's going to be just lots of zingers, <laughs> where people are going to be like giving all these witty one-liners, referencing that everything that yeah. Han Solo has said. He'll meet all the characters in A New Hope, etc. But when they're all a bit younger, there'll be a, a junior Jabba the Hutt who he meets. He's a bit older than the ones in the previous films, probably. There'll be a, He'll probably walk past Greedo and make a joke about shooting him. And, you know, and then Donald Glover will show up and start rapping. <laughs> Which, actually, I'd pay to see, actually. I would pay to see that. Yeah. Um, they might work, they might not. I think that will be a film which is clearly tied into the mythology because you know that there is a plot to those characters that takes place many years afterwards. Yeah. Um, he'll probably meet Chewbacca in one of these <laughs> things, and but when Chewbacca will be less hairy and a yeah. bit shorter or something. A little furball. A little furball, yeah. <laughs> It'd be something like that. you know. And there is a concern that those films, because they, are, because they are so tied into the mythology, will go down that route. But I think there is maybe more scope for Star Wars movies outside of the main events to be made. I think they all... There's actually quite a lot of potential for it now. Mm. So that's it for episode five, our spoilerific review and discussion of Rogue One. Next time. What are we going to discuss next time? So <laughs> there is a plan, I'm sure. <laughs> there, there is a plan. So um, the DCCW shows the big crossover happened between Supergirl, 
slash Arrow Legends of Tomorrow. This week is, I think, the last week where we've still got an episode of Flash, Our Legends of Tomorrow yeah. to go before we catch up with the break that the US is currently on. So I think next time we're going to talk about the crossover, but also how we found the series so far and what's been surprising about, about the series so far, what has been unexpected and what has been expected. <laughs> Arrow. Right. Um, yeah, sounds good. So uh, that's it for episode five. Next time, episode six. Goodbye. Goodbye.